things that make you go hmm <laughs> all right well good morning everyone how's that we had a thunderstorm in san diego in summer what's up with that that's... <laughs> that is uh, pretty cool that's good we need it and it's always fun to hear it so um my dog was not happy i'm sure but that's all right it's great to be with you again this morning. We um, This weekend, the last two days, Friday and Saturday, I spent uh, the day with a bunch of men from our men's ministry golfing. Any golfers here? Where are you guys at? There's some who are here. Yeah, they're all here. We um, played 72 holes of golf for, over a couple days out in Temecula and had a great time out there. And I went um, mainly because as a pastor here, I just, I want to make sure that they felt good about themselves. And so they saw me golf and they felt better after that. So, um, so that, that's, you know, what I try to do. So, <laughs> uh, we had a great time out there though, but one of the reasons why we do that in our men's ministry is we value uh, guys just getting together and, and having other positive um, friendships with other guys. And let's be honest, guys, that sounds really creepy. We don't even like to say that, but, um, <laughs> but we all need it. And, and what better way to do it than over sports and, and things like that. So um, that's one of the values here. We had a great time. Curtis uh, did an amazing job putting it all together, so we're grateful for him. And, and wives who let us go, let me just say thank you to all of you as well. Um, it, it's important. My wife said, yeah, you need to go. Have a good time. And uh, it, it's really nice, especially those of us with, with kids. Um, it's, as soon as we got out there and already had permission to be golfing, and not with our kids, we're like, I don't need to go home. I'm going to golf as long as I can because <laughs> I already have permission, so I'm staying. And, uh, but that, so we are grateful as well for the wives who value that and allow us to do it. My wife, in fact, said um, since I had such a good time that I should go on a week-long golf trip um, with the kids and without her. But uh, <laughs> anyway, well, we had a good time. Anyway, let's get to this stuff. We are in uh, things that make you go, hmm. And the series that we are going through, if you were not with us last week, is we are exploring different stories and passages in Scripture that when you read them, you might go, hmm, why is that in here? Or seriously, God, that's in the Bible? Or, or maybe they're just things that just make no sense. So the point of this series is not simply to learn about six random stories that make us wonder why it's in there. But the point of the series, why, why we are doing this, is because as people who are trying to learn what it means to follow Christ and become more in His image, we believe that Scripture is, is valuable for us. We also want to become a community of people who know how to interact with the Scripture in the way God intends. So we're going through these stories and kind of really practicing what it takes to read these things and find application. So a, a couple things to keep in mind when we read these, uh, these stories and kind of work through them is one, we begin with the principle that we believe that Scripture is true. So we believe that this was written about real people at a real time in history, and they're about real events. And some of the events, there are things in Scripture that sometimes they use symbolism, and there's sometimes Scripture uses um, hyperbole and different literary techniques. But we believe that the Bible is not a book, a collection of fables that just make us feel good or give us decent principles for life. We believe that this is truth. So when we interact with it, that's what we start with. Excuse me. Secondly, we want to, when we're interpreting Scripture, we want to look at it and we want to read it in context. I believe that sometimes you can read one verse and find encouragement and truth in that one verse, but 
please do not create a whole theology based on one verse hanging out there by itself. So we always want to read the whole context. What's going on before and after this verse? What's, what's happening here? Another principle we want to use is we interpret Scripture with Scripture, not with our own opinions and ideas. So if we come to a passage in Scripture that you read and you wonder, well, why does it say that? Or is that really how God is? Read more other passages that kind of help you understand the full picture. Because we believe that the Bible is God's revealing His character to us. And it's God's revealing His plan for restoring and redeeming creation. And so that cannot be done in one passage or in one verse. It takes the whole of Scripture. So always interpret Scripture as Scripture. The more you read, the more you understand the, under, uh, the nuances of each passage. And then finally, we want to re- remember that this made sense to its original audience. Can you believe that? <laughs> so when the original audience read these things, it made sense to them. They probably didn't go, hmm, as often as we do. Because the Bible actually wasn't written to San Diego, San Diegans in the 21st century. It's written for us. We can learn from it. But it's to a totally different culture. So we want to always ask, how did the original audience hear this? What made sense to them? And sometimes it means we want to dig in and find out, is there a certain word that was used that makes more sense, or uh, cultural implications, historical implications, all of those. So those are some of the things that we will do as we study through these stories. Okay? All right, let's pray and get into today's story. Uh, And I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 22. It's the third uh, book of the Bible, if you're new with it. So if you kind of go towards the beginning, it's close to the beginning. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much uh, for today and for all your goodness and everything that you do. I thank you that you speak to us. uh, And I thank you for your word. I pray right now, God, that this would be all about you. This isn't me. This isn't even Seacoast Church. This is you. And so this morning, God, we pray that you uh, would be the star. In your name, amen. So open up to the book of Numbers, chapter 22. I misspoke. It's the fourth book, not the third. And what we're going to do is, is this is a kind of a long story. There's three chapters. We're not going to be able to read every word of the story, but we're going to kind of work, build through. There's three main parts of it. We're going to kind of work through. We'll build the context a little bit. And uh, dissect the story together. Alright, so Numbers chapter 22. I hope this is one that some of you are not familiar with because it makes it more fun. And if it's one that you're familiar with, uh, it's a fun story anyway. So either way, we all win. Okay, here we go. Numbers 22. The sons of Israel journeyed and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan, beside, opposite of Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. So Moab was in great fear because of the people, the Israelites, for they were numerous, and Moab was in dread of the sons of Israel. Okay, let's stop for a second and get a little context, because I just threw out a bunch of names. So what's happening at this point is Israel was in bondage and slavery in Egypt. God miraculously led them out. Now they're wandering through the desert, and uh, they're in this period of what's going to last 40 years. God kind of Uh, gave them some punishment for some of the decisions and actions, so they know that they're going to wander in the desert for 40 years before they enter what's called the promised land, or which is basically modern-day Israel. And it's a land that God had promised to their forefathers hundreds of years before. But now they've kind of had this journey down into slavery. Now they're wandering through the desert, and there's a lot of them. Now, some of the communities of the people who are living on this side of the Jordan River, which is in basically modern-day Jordan, 
the country of Jordan. Uh, there was one tribe, the Amorites, and they just were defeated by the Israelites. And now there's another tribe of people, and they're living here, and this is who we're talking about today, Moab. And the king of Moab is Balak. Now, we, know, we don't know a whole lot about these people, except for it's probably a very small um, group. And they are right, basically it says opposite of Jericho. That's kind of where they existed at the time. And they now are kind of in line of where the Israelites are. Now, something else to keep in mind. They knew very well that something was happening with these people called the Israelites. They knew that there's a people that was in Egypt under the most powerful dynasty at the time. And somehow Pharaoh let them go. And the rumors are that miraculously their God, the Israelites' God, led them out. And their God is with them. And the ancient world knew it. And so they were certainly in fear. And it's very common in the ancient Near East, if your families or if your community, your nation is succeeding with something, you would attribute it to their God. Very different than we do nowadays, right? We like to attribute things to ourselves. Back then they understood kind of God's probably working. And so they knew there must be something going on with this God of Israel because they are doing things that don't make sense. There's something supernatural happening. So they're in fear. Now, uh, in verse 25, because of their fear, the king uh, Balak sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river. And he called to him and said, Behold, a people came out of Egypt, and they cover the surface of the land. They are living opposite of me. Therefore now, please come and curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with fees for divination in hand, and they went to Balaam and repeated Balak's words. Okay, so let's stop again. New character, Balaam. Who is this guy? Balaam. It says that they, the king of Moab is afraid. So he sends money and messengers to this guy named Balaam and says, I need you to come down and curse the Israelites. So already, if this is the first time you've read it, you should say, hmm, <laughs> how does this work? Why is he even doing this? So Balaam, we actually have extra biblical evidence. There's a, a, a tablet found mentioning Balaam talking about his fame and how successful he is proclaiming oracles and blessing and cursing nations. So it's interesting that a, a guy mentioned in the Bible is actually found in extra-biblical archaeology that he was known for this. He was known for divination. Uh, think of it as uh, modern-day kind of sorcery or involved in psychic-type things. Now, the question comes is, did he actually have those powers? And we can't really answer that. But what we know is he was famous for being successful. I believe that he probably, in the ancient well, we know that in the ancient world, a lot of these seers or diviners or whatever, uh, they would use illusion. It was trickery a lot of times. But we have to leave room for the possibility that there was something supernatural happening with some of them. It's just the way it is. And so, because of his fame, there's something unique about Balaam. He was known to be good at divination. And so, something in the dark arts or whatever. Now, let's also think of uh, one other thing you need to know about him. Now, he's coming from a land about three or 400 miles from Moab. And the place where he's coming from, and this is important later, 
is from the exact same area where Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel, came from. In Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abraham out of the land of Ur of Chaldeans, he says, I want you to leave that land to a place I will show you. I will bless you and make you as numerous as a star, your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. In other words, I will bless you greatly. You're going to become a great nation. You're going to possess this land here, but you need to leave where you're coming from. That same place where he left and his family was where Balaam was from. Hundreds of years later, Balaam's living there. So there's something here about some sort of connection. Do they, in, does that region know of this God of Israel? Because we're going to find more in the text here. So keep that in mind. Balaam, we don't really know a whole lot about how he does what he does, but we know he's famous for it. Okay, and it's probably not the same as the prophets in, in Scripture. Uh, it's, it's not the same as proclaiming oracles or words from God directly, although maybe it is at times, so we'll get into that. We are on verse 7, actually verse 8. So they go to Balaam, verse 7, sorry. So elders went and entered Midian, departed with feast for divination. They came to Balaam and repeated Balak's words. And Balaam says to them in verse 8, Spend the night here, and I will bring back a word to you from, that the Lord may speak to me. And the leaders of Moab stayed there with Balaam. Now, one of the things that people would do in the ancient world when they wanted to curse or bless a nation is they'd find out, okay, who do you want to curse? You want to curse Israel. And they'd find out, what's the God of Israel? Who is their God? Because to bless or curse somebody, you would need to know who their God is, because they believed in many gods, and, and ask that God to do the cursing or blessing. So they said, okay, it's Israel. Why don't you stay here, and I'll find out what the Lord has to say to me. Now I want you to notice in your Bibles, if you have them, the word Lord there, if it, it should be capital L-O-R-D, all in caps. That is translated in Scripture as Yahweh, which is the name of Creator God only used for Israel. So he knows, he already acknowledges this God that we believe is the creator of the universe and the God of all things. And he says, stay here. I'm going to see what Yahweh tells me tonight. This would so far be common practice, probably. Now, what did he do that night? I don't know. If he, did, if he had the habit of, of, of doing some sort of with other gods and saying, let me hear from the God Baal, if what he says, maybe he just said, yeah, give me my money. I'll tell you in the morning. I don't know. My guess is he had some sort of rituals, incantations, and things that we find later, that he likes to somehow try to see omens, which is very common, again, in the ancient world. So what is the omen? And, and read the tea leaves or whatever it is, and I'll tell you what, what the God of Israel wants to say. So he says, I'm going to spend the night and figure this out. And probably does what he normally does. If it's whatever it is, tea leaves, smoke, you know, whatever. And look what happens in verse 9. God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? And Balaam says to God, and he doesn't seem surprised, but Balaam says to God, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, has sent word to me and said, behold, there's a lot of people who came out of Egypt to cover the surface of the land. He told me, come, now curse them, and maybe I can fight against them. But God says to Balaam in verse 12, do not go with them. You shall not curse these people, for they are blessed. Verse 13. Balaam arose in the morning and said to Balak's leaders, go back to your land for the Lord refused to let me go with you. So he heard clearly at this point, sorry, I can't go. Did something weird happen that night? I don't know. But he clearly said, I'm not going. The Lord said no. So far, Balaam seems like a pretty good guy, doesn't he? So the leaders of Moab left. 
And they went back to Balak and said, Balaam refused to go. Verse 16, so he says, okay. Then he sent higher level executives. He sent the vice president and said, now you guys go and bring all the money and say, ask for whatever you want. Anything, any price. We'll pay it. Come and curse these people. And look at his response in verse 18. And by the way, there's probably a couple months in between each of these conversations because you're going 300 miles. So it's not like the next day. And he comes to him in verse 18. Balaam says, Though Balak were to give me a house full of silver and gold, I could, do, I could not do anything, either small or great, contrary to the command of the Lord my God. Sounds like a great guy, doesn't he? And notice this is the first time he switched to just saying the Lord, and now he's saying the Lord my God. Did something happen in the last three months? Maybe. It's interesting that all of a sudden it's the Lord my God. I don't know what that's about. Sorry, I wish I had a better answer. But it is something that makes me go, hmm. All right, so that sounds good, right? Balaam's a good guy. I'm not going to go. But now I want you to catch verse 19. Now, please, stay here tonight. Now, find out what else the Lord might speak to me. And God came to Balaam at that night, and he said, If the men have come to you to rise up, go with them. But only the word which I speak to you, you shall do. Okay, seems okay so far, right? So God came to, uh, sorry, verse 21. So Balaam arose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the leaders of Moab. But God was angry with him because he was going, and the angel of the Lord took a stand in the way as an adversary against him. Okay, any questions at this point? (laughs) This is a point in these stories where I go, hmm, wait, you just said he can go, so he goes, and now you're angry at him. Let's find out what else happens, and then we'll see here. So uh, he's mad at him, Uh, sorry, verse 22, and he's riding on his donkey, and he had his two servants with him. Verse 23, the, the donkey saw an angel of the Lord standing in the way with a sword drawn in his hand. And the donkey turned off from the way and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back. And the angel of the Lord stood on a narrow path of the vineyards with a wall on his side. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord. And she pressed herself against the wall and crushing Balaam's foot. So he struck her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn to the right or to the left. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord. She laid down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and struck the donkey again. Okay, so God, Balaam said, I'm not going to go. You can give me all the money in the world. I'm not going. But stay here tonight. Let's see if maybe I learned something more. And then God said, you can go. But God was angry because he went. I know. I, that's how I felt. I don't get it. Now, what happened? What are some questions that we can ask? Why do you think God is angry at this point? He has an angel of the Lord standing there with a sword ready to lop off Balaam's head. So we know God's not happy. What are some questions we might want to ask at this point? Or explore? <laughs> it's a great, we're going to answer that one because that's a great question. Why is the donkey the one seeing the angel? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, why did, yeah, it seems like God changed his mind or it tricked him, right? Sure, you can go. Now I'm angry you went. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's a great question. Let us know next week what you find out. (laughs) Okay, yeah. So maybe there's something going on with the motivation or the inner workings of Balaam here. And he's, God's allowing him to do something, but maybe we're not seeing his attitude in it or something. I don't know if I reworded that the same way, but if, either way, good Jay. <laughs> good question. Yeah, when we look at this, we, we have to, whenever you're interacting with something this in Scripture, do, does, is God, does Scripture tell us that God's a God who makes sense? Is he, in general, is God irrational and illogical and, and, and lash out? And No. We interpret Scripture with Scripture. So when we read the whole of Scripture, we go, wait, wait, it's not consistent for God to say, go ahead and do that. Oh, you did that? I'm going to kill you. That's not the way he does it. That's not the way God works when we read of all Scripture. So there's something else here that we're missing. I believe what we miss is what happens in verse 19 when he says, why don't you just stay here tonight? Let's see if there's anything more. In other words, he was just promised all the silver in the world and gold in the world. And he said, even if you give me everything, I don't want it. And he's thinking, hmm, that's a lot of money though. <laughs> Why don't you just wait and I'll see what God says tonight. Maybe, there's, maybe I'll get a new revelation. So he waits. And God says, okay, you, why don't you go? Go ahead, go. You can go. <laughs> and he's angry that he goes. At this point, is God angry that he's going or is God angry because now Balaam's thinking, oh, I'm going to get rich. Is it that now his motivation is totally turning and he sees, oh, this is going to work out for me. See, I think it's probably something along those lines and God's upset. Now, does God want to kill him? I actually don't think he wants to kill him. I think he wants to have a teaching moment. (laughs) Yeah, you have a point? A question? Yeah, exactly. This is, are we finding why maybe Balaam can't see it? Yeah, let's look. So he just struck the donkey three times. In verse 28, the Lord opens the mouth of the donkey and she says to him, what have I done to you that you've struck me these three times? And Balaam says, because you made a mockery of me. If it had been a sword in my hand, I, and, and notice what he says here. If there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now, donkey. This is called irony. <laughs> And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey from which you've ridden all of your life? Have I ever been accustomed to do this? And he said, No. At this point, the donkey is winning the argument, by the way. (laughs) And the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand, and he bowed all the way to the ground. Now, there's a few things here. Let's take a moment and acknowledge the donkey in the room. (laughs) First of all, he hits the donkey three times, and the donkey says, Why are you hitting me? And Balaam says, Well, because you're making a fool of me. Now, if a donkey ever talked to me, I'm not going to talk back. I'm going to say, You can talk? <laughs> what the heck? I would probably run the other way. But the donkey, and I can't help but to think of Shrek when I read this story, but it's going to make waffles. Okay, anyway, so the donkey... <laughs> So the donkey talks back to him, and the donkey says, why are you beating me? Original audience. Balaam doesn't even freak out. He's probably used to some supernatural crazy things, you think? 
He's probably seen a lot of things in the world he's dealing in. And so he says, well, because you're making me look stupid. At this point, he's talking to a donkey, but let's go on. Uh, and, and the donkey says, I never do this. Have I ever done this? And at that point, Balaam's eyes were open. See, the point of this story is not that a donkey is talking. And by the way, so some of you say, I don't believe that donkeys can talk, ever talk, or ever will talk. A couple things. One, the Bible is not trying to teach that animals talk, okay? The point of this story is not that animals can talk. There's only two instances in all of Scripture where an animal talks, this one and one when it's a serpent that deceives Eve. Some of you might say, I choose to believe that this is metaphor or that he's having this conversation and the donkey's just like making noises and he's hearing it as words. Fine. If you want to believe that, that's fine. You probably will not lose your salvation over that, Okay. But let me ask you for a a moment. Can God do miraculous things? Are there miracles in the world? There are things that we cannot explain. If God just parted the Red Sea and led the people by a cloud of fire at night and is about to have these walls of a town to crumble down and part the Jordan River and raise Jesus from the dead, you think a donkey can talk? I, I tend to believe, you know what, it doesn't make sense. And if someone wants to be a skeptic and say, see, I can't believe the Bible because a donkey talks, I say, okay, that's pretty narrow. Let's take that verse out and read the rest of the Bible then. But I don't care. Sure, a a donkey talked. Jesus rose from the dead. Donkey talking is easy. (laughs) G.K. Chesterton says this about miracles. He said, Believers in miracles accept them, either rightly or wrongly, because they have evidence for the miracles. Disbelievers in miracles deny them, either rightly or wrongly, because they have a doctrine against them. I think a lot of times people don't want to believe that God can move, and that's where they want to stand. Okay, doesn't change anything. Again, the point of the story isn't that God can make a donkey talk. Notice what happens right after his. Balaam's eyes are open. Balaam was a seer. He was supposed to be able to communicate with God. He's supposed to be able to see things that no one else sees. And God's saying, you think that's your powerful, famous Balaam? The one that we have extra biblical evidence that you existed? The whole ancient world knew that you were the best guy at divination in the whole world you're the best sorcerer that we can think of and your donkey is smarter than you are you see the point of this is that god is saying i will not share my glory with anyone else and you might think you're something balaam but you're not even as good as your donkey and if it weren't for your donkey you'd be dead see sometimes god uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise first corinthians chapter one Sometimes God uses the humble things to shame the proud because he wants us to remember that he is God and he's in control. And if he wants to use a donkey, he's going to use a donkey. See, God's saying, I am the star of this story. And Balaam, you think you're pretty great. You think you've got this figured out. Maybe you even think you're going to become wealthy here, but guess what? If it weren't for your donkey, you'd be dead. And his eyes were opened. Which, by the way, this whole story is a play on this language of being able to see. It's like, oh, Balaam, who can see things. No, you can't. God's the one who's in charge, not Balaam. And that's the point. So the story continues, and when Balaam saw what the, the donkey saw, the angel asked him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Because I've come out against you as an adversary because your way was contrary to me. Which, by the way, that's why we read in context. 
we find that something about his way, something about Balaam's motivation was against God. So he says, so I've stood against you. But the donkey saw me and turned aside these three times. If she had not turned aside, I would have killed you just now and let the donkey live. <laughs> you think Balaam feels pretty cool at this point? <laughs> this is one of those moments where God hits you over the head with a two-by-four and says, are you ready to listen? Are you ready to listen? And Balaam says, I have sinned. I didn't know that you were standing there. I will turn back if you want me to turn back. And the angel confirms and says, no, go with these guys, but only speak which I have told you. You know, there's, does God move in this way? There's a story of another guy in scripture who hated Christians. He was having them killed. He was known throughout the Greco-Roman world of the one who wanted to have the movement of people following Christ destroyed. And God met him in the middle of the road and struck him with blindness. He couldn't see. The people around him were looking at him like, what just happened? And he has this moment where God speaks to him and says, hey, guess what, Saul? You think you're hot stuff? You've got everything figured out. You're proud about who you are. And you think you know me. You think you've got it, but you know nothing. I'm Jesus, the Son of God, who you're persecuting. I'm going to use you to be the greatest evangelist in the entire history of the world. God has a way of humbling us and pursuing us, accomplishing his will. I believe one of the things we're learning here in this story is about the patience of God. We're learning that God will pursue even those you think, why would he pursue a sorcerer? Why would he pursue Saul, who's killing Christians. Why would he pursue me? Why would he pursue a family member that's in your mind? Why would he pursue your neighbor, your boss? You think, they are so evil, God would not try to work on their lives. But we're learning something about our God. Nobody is out of his reach. Nobody is. I love it. Okay, so he meets up with Balak. Now Balaam's meeting Balak. And he says, okay, build seven altars here for me and prepare seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did that in the ancient world. Seven is the number for God. It's talking about it's a, a, the perfection and it's God, not something that we man. And he says, stand beside this offering and perhaps the Lord will come and meet me. And when Balak asked him, we got to speed through this, he asked him to curse the people. And so when Balak speaks, he said, here's what God has to say. And instead he blesses Israel. He says, no, these people are blessed. And Balak says, hold on, hold on. That's not what I meant for you to do. I said, curse them. You just blessed them. He said, I told you I'm only going to do what the Lord wants me to do. So he said, wait, wait, let me give you better views. He went to another part of the hill and looked down again. And Balak said, Balaam, curse these people. And he blesses them again. And Balak says, I don't think you quite understand. (laughs) We're not getting anywhere. So just... Don't even say anything. Don't curse him or bless him. And the third time, now we see that Balaam sees that it was pleasing to God to bless this people Israel. And he utters one more blessing. And there's one thing I'll make a cultural note. Sorry we had to speed through that part. In verse 24, I mean chapter 24, verse 1, he just went through two series of, of blessings. It says this, Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel. He did not go as the other times to seek omens, but he set his face towards the wilderness. In other words, the previous two times when he said, I need to go find a word from the Lord, he was still doing some sort of 
sorcery to find a word from God, and God was speaking to him. But the third time, he says, wait, there's something different here. And he says he does not seek those omens anymore. But he turned his face to the wilderness, in other words, just as a posture of, okay, God, speak. See, again, the story we're seeing, that God is working with Balaam. Now, what else do we learn? In Genesis chapter 12, I told you, when God called Abram out of his land, he said, I will bless you. And he who blesses you, I'll bless, and curses you, I will curse. No one will stand against you or your people or my word to you. See, this story is about God also reminding them that I will be true to my plans. I don't change. I promised this hundreds of years ago. You're wandering in the desert. You're wondering if I have given up on you, but I want to remind you that even if someone wants to stand against you and curse you, it won't happen because I am still going to accomplish my will in your life. See, this story is not about us. It's not about people. It's about the character and nature of God and his ways. And what we need to remember this morning is that God doesn't change. His plan for creation is to restore us into relationship with him. Those that are the most lost and those that are following him closely, he wants a relationship with us. And his plans will not be thwarted, even by someone asking for sorcery. There's no height, nor depth, nor anything that will separate us from God and his plan. I'm going to ask the worship team to make their way up. And as they make their way up, I want to just have us end and and consider what God might be saying to us this morning. Maybe for some of you here, you're wondering if God's plan for your life is secure. You're wondering if he wants to give up on you or maybe give up on someone you love. And I want you to know this morning we learned that he will not give up. His patience will not run out. He wants to restore. I think this morning too, God wants to remind us that his ways trump the wisdom of mankind. We're living in a world that is constantly trying to make following Christ or following God to be a stupid thing. Daily I read articles about how could you believe? There's a growing movement that's trying to evangelize the world for atheism as if that makes any sense. Well, that'd be a better place. We all can know that no one's loved. Yay. There's no reason to live. But there's a growing movement for that. And I believe that our God's on his throne saying, I will trump all of the wisdom of man. I'm not giving up. I am the God of the universe. Let's not give up on it. Maybe for some of you this morning, you're wrestling with why you're even here. (laughs) Maybe you're here and, and you don't know how you got here. You don't know why you're here. You don't want to be here. But God's speaking to you today and maybe you're like Balaam riding on a donkey and you think you have it all figured out. And maybe today it's time for you to realize the donkey might know more than you do. (laughs) And God's trying to speak to you and say, it's time to come back to me. Or maybe it's time for the first time to make a decision to follow me. Are you living in the pride of your own life? You think you have it all figured out? Is it time today to bow a knee to, to Yahweh? Is there someone in your life that you've given up on and you need to pursue them?
Is there someone you need to go and say, will you forgive me? What is God speaking to you today? Because my guess is that for every one of us in here, we could stand a little bit of having our eyes open. (laughs) So let's allow God to do that here as we respond. And let's remember that the story is not about the donkey. It's barely even about us. It's about God and his love and his pursuit and his faithfulness. So let's pray and then we're going to end with a time of just declaring who God is in our lives. God, we thank you again for this morning. I thank you for how amazing you are. And God, even in the sound of the thunder this morning and the lightning, just to be reminded that we are so small. (laughs) And God, for those of us in here this morning that need our eyes open to something in our lives, Lord, would you open our eyes? For some of us this morning, perhaps where we've been self-righteous, arrogant, feeling like we have it all figured out, going through life, not even considering you, God, would you open our eyes today and help us right now to declare who you are and how big you are. And God, we respond to you now and ask that you would teach us in this place.